Our scripture for today comes from Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And it says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan." Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. It is so good to start our week in worship. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me in your Bibles to that passage in Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, as you turn there, we are in a series to start the year that we're calling Experience Immeasurably More. And it is exactly that, that we want everyone who calls Eastside home and everyone that God is drawing to himself to experience more of God in 2024, more of his presence, more of his power. And the way we're saying it is we want everyone to experience God for themselves. If you're joining us for the first time today, if you're one of the, our guests, we are so grateful that you are here. The way at Eastside we say we experience more of God is by uh, six simple steps in God's direction. Six simple steps we get straight from the pages of God's word. We love them and believe in them so much we call them our core values. It's the way we've experienced God at work in our lives and through our church. And so we say that we experience more of God when we lean in. When we take action, when we expect miracles, when we live open-handed lives, when we cultivate restorative community, and when we reflect glory to God. These are our core values. We say them clearly and consistently because this is how we have experienced God at work to change our lives. And so today, we're going to look at our third core value, which we say is expect miracles. Expect miracles. Now, if I'm honest with you, this third core value is the value that makes me the most nervous. Because when I say, or we say, expect miracles, everyone has a different idea about what I mean. Don't, do, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, as soon as I say that we are a church that expects miracles, some people get really excited because in their mind, Jesus is some kind of genie in a bottle who's on the hook to do whatever we hope he'll do. Like we rub the, the bottle and Jesus comes out and just grants us whatever wish we want. And on the other end of the spectrum, when we say expect miracles, some people are ready to check out because they're convinced that somewhere along the way, the miracles of God have ceased to exist. And this idea of miracles brings a lot of confusion and understandably so. And so at the time we have today, I want to dig in and see what God has to say so that we can clear things up and then put ourselves in position to experience the presence and power of God as he chooses to make it available to us today. So that we can put ourselves in position to experience the presence and power of God as he sees fit in his sovereignty to make it available to us today. 
And so in order to do that, we always want to be faithful to God's word. We're going to pick up the text in Joshua chapter 3. We spent the last couple weeks unpacking this chapter, and every moment has really led to this moment in verse 14. But before we dive in, let's look back. We're picking up the story of God's people in the Old Testament on the edge of the promised land. They find themselves at the end of a 40-year journey through the desert. They can see their destination on the other side of the Jordan River. And they're at a point where they have to decide if they're going to set out and step into the promises that God has prepared for them, or are they going to settle in, settle down, and stay comfortable? We've seen already they clearly heard from God what God wanted to do in them and through them. They have their instructions. The question is, are they going to step into the miracle? And I'd say that we find ourselves in this exact same situation every single day. It might not be a promised land, but God has promises prepared for his people. Promises prepared that if we will walk with him, he will bestow upon us. Promises like, like the abundant life. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, we, don't, we always clarify, like the, Jesus doesn't say it's the easy life, but it is an abundant life, a life full of meaning and significance and purpose. He's promised that we can have peace with God and with people through Jesus. He's promised that his presence and his power will be with us. The question is whether we're going to trust God enough to expect miracles. Here's my conviction that our expectation determines our experience. If we expect God to do what only God can do, we will put ourselves in position to experience his power. Our expectation determines our experience. I think this is true in a lot of different areas in life. Like, if we expect great things, we're going to put ourselves in position to experience great things. Now, not talking about manifesting great things. I'm just saying, like, we will put ourselves in position. I know that football season is kind of fading into the background. We've got a couple weeks left. College football is now in the rearview mirror. But I was thinking about a few years ago when the UCF Knights won their national championship. You know what I'm talking about? We had an undefeated season. And the entire nation thought that it was much ado about nothing. But we were going to a bowl game against a good team. And I remember us like trying to decide as a family, like, were we going to go? And the question was really, do we expect that they can win? Because a lot of people didn't, get, didn't go because they didn't expect that they could win. But we expected that they could win. And we got to go and experience the game. How many miracles do we miss by simply staying home? not expecting that God is going to do something great. How many times do we fail to show up and see his presence and power on display because we don't actually expect that God is going to exceed our expectation? So our expectations can determine our experience. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 says this. It says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, so we're picking up this story and it says that God has given clear instructions to his people. This is what he wants to do in their midst. He's given them clear action steps to go down to the Jordan River and let the priests step into the water to get their feet wet. It's perform, he will perform the miracle. In verse 14, it just says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan. 
What stands out to me is that the people of God expected God to perform the miracle that God had promised before they could see the place where they could put their feet on dry ground. Like, and I know that because they set out to step into the miracle. They set out to pass over the Jordan. If they didn't expect God to show up, they would have just stayed home. And this is what I mean when I say our expect- expectations determine our experience. If the people of God didn't expect that God would show up and exceed their expectations, they could have stayed put in their camps and settled in there. But God had told them that he would go before them. And so with confidence and courage and conviction, they set out to follow God in the direction that he was leading them. When we expect God to do what only God can do, we will put ourselves in position to experience his power and presence in our life. And I'm not looking for Jordan rivers that need to be crossed as much as I'm looking for everyday opportunities to put myself in position to experience the presence and power of God in my life. I'm looking for this in my marriage, that if I will just do things God's way and faithfully follow him, I'll be able through God's power to love my way, life, love my life and my wife the way that God has called me to love my life and my wife. I'm doing this as I, as I try to be a father to my daughters, to put myself in position to watch God work in their life, expecting that he is going to do something special in their life to draw them close to him. I'm certainly expecting this every day as we show up to lead this church, day in and day out through community groups, in discipling relationships, in opportunities to have spiritual conversations, in Sundays that we put ourselves in position to see God work because we expect that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. And the question then is, well, how can we know that God will do what only he can do? When we look back, if you're anything like me, when we look back at stories like in this in the Old Testament, I believe with all my heart that this was an actual event that took place. The historical record, the biblical record would attest to the evidence that this is a historical event. But like, that's looking back. Like, how can we know in our life it's going to translate to watching God work in miraculous ways? Because just like the people of Israel in the Old Testament, we too faithfully follow God into the miracle. Verse 14 says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Now the the Ark in those days was a representation of God's presence with his people. And which is so important, we see here, when we're talking about following God into the miracles, is that we faithfully follow God into a miracle. We don't demand one from God. And that's why we put these core, core values in a particular order on purpose. And we don't want to just like walk around like hoping to see God work. We want to lean in and hear what is God doing? Where is God leading? What does God want us to do? And where does God want us to go? And then we want to take action. We want to follow him in obedience with conviction and courage. And then we want to watch God work. We want to lean in. We want to take action. And we want to watch God work. Our faith is anything but a name it and claim it kind of faith. You know what I mean? We kind of use that as a, as a tagline, like a name it and claim it kind of faith. And it's popular in Christian circles because it sells well, right? Like you just say something that you want and in some way you think God is beholden to deliver it to you. It's name it and claim it. But that's not how God works. 
We don't treat Jesus like some sort of a genie in a bottle. We don't think we can manifest the miracle, this new age principle where if we just think about something enough. I've, I've heard of people who have thought like, you know, if you just want a boat, you just put a picture of the boat you want on the refrigerator. Every time you walk by, you just think, I'm going to get a boat. I'm going to get a boat. I'm going to get a boat. And then you start seeing boats. It's like, yeah, because it's all, all, all that's on your mind. But, you know, like that just doesn't work. You know how I know? Because I tried it. I'm just kidding. I didn't. But, like, I would love a boat. But boats aren't just falling out of the sky because we want some kind of miraculous thing to take place. We faithfully follow God into the miracles he wants to perform for his glory first and foremost. And we get the benefit of watching them work for our good, which is good news, I think. Because I don't know about you, but I've asked God for some really dumb things in my life. Have you? Like, think back. Like, if God gave you every dumb thing you asked for, what would your life look like right now? And I remember, like, I was being genuine when I prayed for some of those things. I remember when I was young, like, if God gave me everything I wanted, I'd be driving a car that no longer exists anymore. Like, because when I was growing up, that was the cool car. I'd be dating a girl. I'd be married to a girl who no longer loves Jesus. I'd be doing a job that no longer sounds appealing because my desires change from day to day. And so I'm grateful that God doesn't give us everything we want but he's faithfully leading us to experience everything he has in store for us. The people of God expected God to perform the miracle that he had promised. And what an incredible miracle it was. Here is Joshua recounts this. He says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God before the people. Verse 15. As soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan... And the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Parenthetical statement says, for clarification, now the Jordan, the Jordan River, overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to it. The waters coming down from above stood up and rose in a heap very very far away at a town called Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. The people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. It's an incredible miracle. The Jordan River in those days was an impressive river. If you were to look at maps today, you would see it's much smaller than we might anticipate because over time, much of its flow has been diverted for irrigation, which you might expect in an arid climate like the Middle East. But in Jesus, or not well, in Jesus' day, but in those days, the river raged, especially at flood stage. Some ex- experts suggest that the river could swell from 100 feet wide to almost a mile wide. Historical accounts provided for us as uh, late as the 1800s tell us stories of people being swept away by the swift current, people and horses alike. The river was an impressive river, but have you ever noticed that God performs his greatest miracles when it seems like the odds are stacked against him? Like God could have let the the people through this river on dry ground at any point, but he waited till the river was at flood stage to lead his people through it. Why? Why? I think it's because that's when he receives the most glory. Because there's no question it was God who came through. 
When the odds are stacked against you, God does his best work because that's when God gets all the credit. It's the moment when your marriage is on the ropes that God provides conviction, which leads to restoration. It's the moment that the account seems like it's running out, but you've been faithfully investing in the kingdom that God's generosity runs over in your life. It's that moment where your friends or your family seem so far from God that God gives you the opportunity for a spiritual conversation. It's when the odds are stacked against us, God does his best work because the, because the truth is the purpose of miracles are to bring God glory. That's when God gets all the credit. My prayer, with that in mind, my prayer for our church from the, before we started was that, we would, that God would use us to build a church that only he can take credit for. And it's not like a, like a humble brag. Like I really want God to build a church through us on the east side of Orlando that when people outside of our church look at what God is doing here, they can't help but give God credit. That the things that are accomplished in our midst would go so far beyond our talents and our ability that they have to see God at work. And I think that's been true. Like I think it's been true to see that that God has been drawing people close to him who were far from him and changing their life in miraculous ways because his Holy Spirit is at work. No amount of coaching or preaching could ever accomplish the things that God is accomplishing in our midst because we want God to get credit. And so this miracle was performed. The water stacked up and the people walked through on dry ground. We read right past it, at times, but I would have loved to have seen that wall of water. Like truly, like the, the crossing of the Jordan River, the crossing of the Red Sea. Like I would have loved to have seen the wall of water that welled up at a town far away. Also because, um, like I wonder what the onlookers would have thought. The people that weren't expecting the miracles. Were they standing in awe of God as they watched from afar at God at work? All of a sudden, the water starts stacking up. God performs a miracle, and his people walk through on dry ground. But we want to be faithful to the text, and we want to be faithful to God, and miracles are kind of mysterious. So I ask the question, what is a miracle? Like, what is it we're talking about? In fact, I found the best most succinct answer I could find on a great resource called gotquestions.org. They're faithful to the text, and they said this. They said, miracles are extraordinary occurrences that can only be attributed to the supernatural work of God and demonstrate his involvement in human history. Miracles provide evidence of God's presence and God's power in the world, and they demonstrate his authority on behalf of his servants. Miracles are supernatural, extraordinary occurrences that can only be attributed to the supernatural work of God. They defy the rules of physics and nature because of the demonstration that God is at work. So that's what a miracle is. The next question that we have to ask is, does God still perform miracles today? And that really is the million-dollar question, isn't it? For a long time, if I were honest, I would have answered that question like, no way. Like, God doesn't perform miracles today. Why would he need to? 
But I want to be faithful to the word. And the more I read the word, the more I realize the word is full of wonders. And so then I had to start asking myself some critical questions. Like if I don't think God is at work to perform miracles today, when did they cease to exist? Was it after the death of Jesus? Did all the miracles that Jesus performed, were that all the, was that all the miracles? Well, no, because we see miracles performed throughout the book of Acts after, after Jesus. God performed so many signs and wonders as the church was getting started. So was it after the Bible was finished, after the Apostle John put the last period at the end of the book of Revelation? Was it after John died? Was it after the people that the apostles had laid their hands on that the miracles kind of fizzled out? Did they just fizzle out? None of that really makes sense if we believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever in the presence of, the presence of God is at work through the power of his Holy Spirit. And in fact, the scripture would say that when God launched his church, God promised that miracles would mark the New Testament age. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, quoting the Old Testament, Peter says this. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit, my Holy Spirit, on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, they're going to prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. The Holy Spirit's going to stir something within them. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my Holy Spirit and they shall prophesy. And then verse 19 says, And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Now, the miracles of God always bring glory to God. Certainly there's demonstrations of spiritual power that we have to be cautious of, but miracles of God always bring glory to God. And I can't help but see them all throughout Scripture. And as if I needed more evidence, God gave me an experience that brought him glory and changed my perspective, led me to stand in awe of God. I remember many years ago, at this point, six or eight years ago, I was there in the doctor's office when, my, when the doctor told my wife and I that we would not be able to have kids without medical intervention, that it wasn't possible. And then I was there a couple years after that with a positive pregnancy test in hand when the doctor asked, the doctor asked, how did this happen? Which changed my faith. Because I said, well, doctor, I know what we did, but you said that wouldn't work. But I know that we fasted, and I know that we prayed, and I know that we believe wholeheartedly that God put it on our heart to have a family one way or another. Only God. And I remember leaving that doctor's appointment, obviously grateful for the work of God in our life, but more than anything, grateful that God let the doctor ask us, how did this happen? So like, well, shouldn't you know? There was no medical explanation. And every night, when I take my, take, tuck my daughter in and pray with her, I'm reminded that God still performs miracles. I've experienced them firsthand. At the same time, the other side of that coin is I have prayed fervently, fasting for God to heal friends and family of friends, knowing full well that he was capable. And then I ended up going to a funeral. How does that make any sense? I've prayed and fasted that God would grant other families the same miracle he has granted us because if anyone deserved to have a family, it would be them and still wait for that answer to be performed. It leads us to this truth that the greatest miracles that God can perform are the miracles he performs in Christ for the ages to come. Now, I know that sounds, sounds kind of silly, and it sounds like what the preacher says at the funeral when God didn't answer the prayers 
the way we asked him to answer the prayers. And I understand that. But I'm not trying to say that to minimize the work of God here today. I'm saying the greatest demonstration of God's power are the miracles he performs in Christ for the ages to come. That when those who put their faith in Christ look like they've lost their battle once and for all, but we realize that the real miracle takes place when they're fully and finally healed in God's presence, never to suffer again. Like that is a real miracle. That when God moves us from death to life, I think we take that for granted so often because we don't see this physical manifestation. But if we saw someone who had been buried, left for dead for many years, come out of the grave and start walking again, we would all stand in all of God. And yet the scripture says that's exactly what takes place every time a believer puts their faith in Jesus, that he moves us from the grave to life. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, it says in Ephesians. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears these words of mine and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he is what? He has passed from death to life. We wrap our minds around in the physical realm, passing from life to death. But Jesus says, no, I'm reversing that. If you believe in Jesus, we're moving from death to life. Romans chapter 6, but the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, do you not know, like do you not recognize, do you not understand that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And in the back of our mind, because we're so familiar with church and tendency to take it for granted, we think like, no, we just like got wedding, we got a t-shirt and we went about our day. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Like do you not realize what took place in that moment? That when you were into the water, you were in some way that is beyond your comprehension, uniting yourself with Christ's death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. That, friends, is a miracle. And a miracle that if I'm not careful, I'll take for granted, but it is the miracle that God has called us to as his church. God is at work to perform miracles in and around us and through us all the time. It's when God's spirit goes to work in our soul and helps us put sin to death in our bodies. When he transforms and renews our minds. So when you're going about your business and you realize those temptations that have been uh, weighing you down for so long are no longer there, you recognize that God is at work in your mind. When the church advances the kingdom of God against the gates of hell, God is at work performing incredible miracles in Christ for the ages to come. Of course, God is at work today to heal, but God is at work to save. And I have to believe that God is at work to accomplish immeasurably more. I see it in scripture. I see it in our story. I know his spirit is at work. So I was asking my question, I was asking this question this week. If this is what a miracle is, and if God is at work to perform miracles today, how do we put ourselves in position to experience the power and presence of God like this? How do we step into the miracle? Because most of us will go through life and never see a body of water that's going to part before us. But God wants to accomplish immeasurably more in us and through us. And in my prayer time this week, God reminded me of one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith... Faith in God is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. The word for hoped 
can be translated expected. Now, faith is the assurance of the things we expect. The conviction, the confidence in God to accomplish things not yet seen. Our faith gives us confidence that God is going to come through and do what only God can do. We don't want to manufacture the miracle. Like, we don't want to take it upon ourselves, but we can put ourselves in position by putting our faith in God. And here is how, like, here's the litmus test I use for my own personal faith. It's this. I ask myself often in my prayer time, what am I doing today that if God doesn't show up, things won't go well? What am I doing today? If God doesn't show up, things won't go well. And I just want to be very clear. I'm not talking about you find this raging body of water and you just charge into it. God might not have made that promise to you. That is foolish. But if we lean in and hear from God what he wants to accomplish in our lives and through our church, and if we're willing to take action following him with confidence and courage, how are we putting ourselves in position so that if God doesn't show up, things don't go well for the glory of God? Are we having confidence to have spiritual conversations? Are we willing to be the conduit through which God moves people from death to life? Is there a greater miracle than literally just telling someone the good news of Jesus Christ and watching the eternal trajectory of their lives change in a moment in front of you? Like, friends, if you've never been the person to baptize someone, ask God to make that possible this year. There is nothing greater. When we baptize someone at Eastside, I'm happy to do it. But more than anything, I want to see someone else baptize them because there's nothing more exhilarating, nothing more exciting than being part of watching God transform the, spirit, transform the eternal trajectory of people's lives in our midst. What are we doing today that if God doesn't show up, things won't go well? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. But if we zoom out a little from this familiar verse, we get some much-needed context. And honestly, this context is what spoke to me in my prayer time this week. Paul writes, or the writer of Hebrews writes to the church, he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. I'm constantly reminded that my confidence comes from my calling in the work of Jesus. It does not come from my ability. Like if our confidence is dependent on our ability, it will fail us in an instant. But the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Think about who Jesus is and all that he has already accomplished as we look forward to what he's still to do. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We don't want to manufacture the miracle, but one of the things we've learned is that we also can't microwave it, can we? Have you ever noticed that God will do what God will do in God's timing because God's timing is perfect, but it often requires endurance from us? Remember, the Israelites were about to step into a miracle 40 years in the making. We've seen the last three days over the last three weeks, but this miracle is 40 years in the making. So what do we do while we wait? Well, that verse says, if you could put it back on the screen, verse 36, it says, For we have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, what do we do? We do the will of God. We walk in obedience. We take action. We do what God says, and he will deliver what he has promised. And here's the thing. It's not just what we do. It's who we are. 
Verse 37 says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. Speaking of the second coming of Jesus, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then verse 39 says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So you've come so far, don't shrink back. Now, faith is the assurance of things we are expecting. It's the confidence in things not seen. God is at work in our lives and through our church. The question is, do we expect miracles? I wanted to be careful in my presentation of the sermon this week because I didn't want to stand up here and get overly excited and send everybody out on an emotional high. I want us to, to prepare for worship. And as we worship, I want us to think about what are we placing our confidence in? Is it in our own excitement, in our own energy? Or is it in who Jesus is and what Christ has accomplished for us? That if Christ has moved us from death to life, he will certainly work through us for the glory of God and the good of those we've been called to serve. And in doing so, there's no greater good than being part of what God is doing but our expectations determine our experience. My goal for you and for me, and for those that God is drawing to himself through his church, is that this year we would experience God for himself, for ourselves. Do you expect God to work in our church? Father, we're so thankful for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is to gather together this Sunday and every Sunday to celebrate who you are and all you've accomplished for us. Lord, we have absolute confidence that you have moved us from death to life. Father, we pray that as we make much of you, you will make yourself known to us and you remind us of your goodness and grace lest we ever fall into the trap of taking it for granted. And Father, as we think about all that you've accomplished in our life and on our behalf, may we expect immeasurably more for the glory of God through our church, for the good of those you're drawing to yourself. We're so thankful for Jesus who makes all of this possible. It is in his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.